tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrel pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing, man. Yeah, that's remarkable. Whenever we go to start this pod and I start writing my notes, you know, like five minutes before the pod starts, I've organized the notes in my head, but I first write tipping pitches and then the date of the episode. And then I put cold open underneath it. And then I leave myself some space to write a cold open. And then I write a list of all of our topics. And 98% of the time, I just write cold open and then don't write what the cold open is going to be. And then we start rolling and see what happens. But today when I wrote cold open, I still haven't written it down. Okay. But I thought the irony of writing the phrase cold open, as we're about to begin talking, when both of us have a cold. (laughs) (laughs) It is quite the cold open. I want to be fair. I, I think the cold open works best when you're going off the dome. Like that is that is in effect the cold open, right? If it's planned out too much, you're doing yourself and the listeners a disservice, I think. So you think that this podcast needs to become more freewheeling? You think it's too structured? I think there's too is? much structure. Yeah, I think there's too much planning that goes into it. Well, you know, we recently got word from none other than the man who is your father <laughs> that the Patreon episodes are better precisely because of this, because they are not, there's no structure, there's no point. They don't need to exist, but they're fun. So if listeners are listening to this right now and thinking, damn, tipping pitches is way too structured for me. I have a place for you. <laughs> I have a place. It's the URL patreon.com slash tipping pitches. Just getting straight to the plugs, you know, that haven't was, even really made a joke yet. <laughs> that was good. I, as you, as you uh, mentioned to me, I think that's possibly the best uh, pitch we've received for this podcast, which is there's uh there's no structure. It's just a little dumb and a lot of fun. And that's the tipping pitch's promise that we bring to you every week. Today's main topic for the episode that we are about to record right now, we did briefly broach it in the Patreon episode that came out on Thursday, and that is Shohei Otani's contract and its structure. However, you told me that we were legally required to not discuss it. And I just blew straight through that you did. stop sign. I was proud of you for that. What were we, gonna, we were talking to each other. Were we going to not talk about it? Um, so Otani's contract chat, which, you know, if you follow us on Twitter, you saw me having with a many members of our replies. We also got a little bit of <laughs> RSN news, more RSN news. It's December 17th. Baseball games will not be broadcast for at least four months. And yet we discuss regional sports networks. And then, of course, anything that comes up over the course of these conversations. But before we do that, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Baisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches. Uh, do, do I sound bad? Do I sound like a frog? You know, you didn't sound great when, when I first hopped on this Zoom. We are recording remotely, a rarity these days for Tipping Pitches. But you snapped right into it, I gotta say. That's called preservation, you mm-hmm. know? I'm like a pro. Like a you professional. Are, you are I'm, like a pro. I'm like Taylor Swift, basically. Yeah. Just complete voice rest between pod recordings. It's all <laughs> one big pod. I, uh, I had this thought that I was testing fate a couple days ago. Because in my head, I was like, man, I've recorded so many pods this week. And I just have like four more to do next week. 
and then I'm off. No pod recordings until January 2nd. And then like 12 hours later, <laughs> I got sick and started to lose my voice. And I was like, fuck, who's doing this? Who's listening to my thoughts? Uh, that's rude, but maybe the best possible timing. But like these last four pods, I got to hold out strong. I don't know. Is it, is it better to, to, to be sick like during your work? When you when you have have work to get done, or like when you're supposed to be off, I don't oh, I don't know. You're saying that the best best possible timing because then I'll I'll be healed up right before my time off. Right, exactly. Now you're always thinking in the, in a pro worker sense. I love that's, that for you. I try. I love that. Uh, thank you to this week's new patrons, Tom, Rachel, and John Calicious. Uh, we appreciate your support. Thank you again. I want to reiterate. Thank you to everybody who has upped their pledge because there are a handful of you every week that just do not get filtered into this way that I name new patrons, but we see that we notice it. We appreciate it. Um, can I, before we talk about Otani's contract, because that's going to make me mad. I need to warm myself up, warm my emotions up before we start talking about this thing that is going to get me, get me fired up. Can I tell you that, uh, like a decent to high to alarmingly high percentage of my, emotional sanity over this holiday season depends on where Yoshinobu Yamamoto signs over the coming days. Right. You were at the dinner, actually, right? The I, dinner this weekend at Steve Cohen's house? I cooked. Yeah. Yes, right. Okay. <laughs> so if he Your comes to the Mets, ZD. it was because of me. <laughs> <laughs> the big CD that I canceled for you coming over on Friday night, I made right. that instead. I, it makes the biggest sense. Japanese pitching free agent we've ever had. I, I I was a little mad at the time, but now I understand. We're good. <laughs> I had to cancel cancel under auspicious circumstances, and that was the that was the circumstance. No, I just the, here's where I'm here's where I'm at. We've gone from the Mets are the front runners to the Mets aren't contenders to the Mets are now the front runners again, and it's all because Andy Martino is just parroting whatever his sources want him to say. <laughs> And I'm just sick of it. I'm just sick and tired of it. I just feel as though at this point in my life, after having consumed so many Andy Martino tweets, there's like long-term damage that's been done to my brain. And I feel like I should be entitled to financial compensation for it. What do you think? Can we file a class action lawsuit sponsored by the MLB Fans Union? In your capacity as president, you say what? Yeah, I say let's do it. Uh, I think there's a strong case. Um I can I I have borne witness firsthand to the emotional distress that that you have gone through over the last few years that has been inflicted by that team from Queens. And so look, we don't have to win the case. We don't even have to get me a settlement. I just want to help the next Mets fan that right. comes along. Ex you know, exactly. I just want to pay You're it looking forward. for the next generation. Exactly. That's what I want this to is pay all for. Forward. Get Andy Bartino out of my x.com feed. All right, I don't even follow this guy. I know. <laughs> I don't follow him. <laughs> and even if I block him, people just share screenshots of it all the time. And then like SNY, who I have to follow because they tweet out like Mets highlights and interviews and stuff all, all year. And I like them. And I like many people who work for them. They're tweeting like our Mets beat reporter reports. And I'm like, God damn, damn it. it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really unfortunate. It's been unfortunate, I think, seeing the sort of roller coaster that Mets fans have been taken on this offseason when nothing has happened. I think this applies, frankly, to most teams 
I think this applies to most fan bases right now that this offseason has been like a very turbulent one emotionally and very little has happened. Nothing has happened. (laughs) Here's what the Mets have done this offseason. Signed Joey Wendell Mm -hmm. and hired a new manager. A's legend, Joey Wendell. That's right. Was he on the A's before this? I don't know. I don't not directly before this. No. What was he doing last year? 2023, Joey Wendell, 297 at bats, negative 0.2 war. He was on the Miami Marlins. Now, you know, that tracks. I remember that now. Mm-hmm. Very that Marlins team. player. What a mess that team was. What a mess. What a mess. Not a fun story. I will not let this go. No, that's why you were pro getting rid of the GM, right? There had to be some changes in that organization, Bobby said. For the love of God, save jokes like that for the Patreon feed, okay? There's thousands of people <laughs> listening to this. Save it for the save it for the few, the proud, the patrons. Um, <laughs> putting that on a shirt. Okay, can we talk about Otani's contract? Let's talk about Joey Otani. So, what, what, last year, last we talked, did we not, did we know about the deferrals or the extent to which these were deferred? I guess we did. I guess we did, but we're, it, it, yeah. we were more we focused didn't know on doing about... that episode with Jake and Jordan, overrated and underrated. And right. we talked about the deferrals. We talked about the weirdness of the contract. We didn't really know about how this would impact the competitive balance tax average annual value of Otani's salary. No, we also didn't know about the clause that tied his fate to others in the Dodgers organization, namely Andrew Friedman and... Mark Walters? Walter. Walter. Walters? Mark? Walter. Walter. Singular Walter. Mm-hmm. Like Walter White. Mark Walter White. Uh, that's going to happen to me. How I'm going to remember it. The mnemonic phrasing that I'm going to remember it by. That's what he looks like? I think that we should do a game on the Patreon feed where we play a... Like I showed you flashcards of owners of pictures of them and you have to tell me who they are i think that would be fun (laughs) (laughs) i'm on board okay great um i would have one million percent said john sherman if you showed me a picture of this guy (laughs) yep uh (laughs) uh-huh see i would have said john stanton okay we'll get to that that is fucked up that those dudes have names that sound so similar (laughs) but we are going to get to john stanton later so otani's deferrals He's deferring $68 million per year of his contract, of his 10-year $700 million contract. Um, This means that by the terms of the CBA, there is no limit on the amount of money that you can defer in your contract. We can talk about the reasons for that. We can talk about why the Players Association might have wanted to agree to that. But before we do, I think we should at least establish the facts. That means that in order to calculate, in order to avoid this being a massive loophole in limiting the average annual value and allowing teams to treat it like it's $2 million per year, even though it's deferred to the future. And in order to prevent the Dodgers from having to have a dead cap hit of $68 million on their contract for the 10 years after Otani retires or is not on the team anymore, they the way it's treated is they determine what they call the net present value of the contract dictated by the terms outlined in the CBA which are they use the IRS's inflation calculator, economic inflation calculator, so not just inflation, economic value calculator to determine how much $700 million 
in 10 years in the future would be worth now if you had it and could invest it and could have it gain interest, could have it multiply via the ways that money multiplies in our world. The formula is complicated. It's not really important for the purposes of this conversation. What is important is that that formula delivers you about $460 million of value, which means you divide that by 10 for the average annual value of Otani's contract. It's going to be a $46 million hit for the Dodgers for the next 10 years and nothing after that. That's a lot of CBA mumbo jumbo, which usually you and I get really worked up about, but no one else cares. But in this case, everyone else cares. And I don't know about you, but I'm not really that worked up about this. Yeah. So why? Why? Why is everyone mad is my question. I mean, (laughs) there's a lot at play here. I think chiefly, a lot of it is jealousy, frankly, at the fact that he ended up with the Dodgers and the Dodgers notoriously have been big spenders. And so there's this sort of hand-wringing about how they are skirting the luxury tax Right by signing this contract, affording them basically an extra, you know, thirty million dollars, twenty-four, but yeah, twenty-four million dollars. Whoa, a whole twenty-four million dollars! They couldn't even sign Aaron Nola with that. <laughs> Sorry, I, mean, I don't mean to. Nice. I don't mean to muddy up the waters <laughs> with my opinion already. Just continue, finish. But I think a lot of it is like that. You know, oh, of course he was going to go to the Dodgers, the big spenders, the Yankees of the West, like. You know, us other small market teams never had a shot, which like I want to be very clear as this contract very clearly shows is not really the case, right? If the Dodgers were able to offer him this sort of deal that the terms of the contract that have been laid out here that were, it should be noted, suggested by Otani. In fact, I think Andrew Friedman came out and said, no, we we didn't have the balls to offer him something like that. (laughs) Amazing quote. Amazing quote. I'm, I want to I want to note that I'm paraphrasing there. Um, it's such a unique structure for an incredibly unique player, and and one that he brought to the forefront because he wanted to be on a competitive team, right? Perhaps in contrast to say the last last six years of his career, right? I think he wanted to know that he was going to be surrounded by a cast of players who were actually going to push them into October. And so he was willing to sacrifice effectively a quarter of a billion dollars to make that happen. And the fact that he was willing to do that suggests that the other teams, I think, were not as far out of the running as we would have been led to believe. Now, do I think necessarily every team could have turned around and just offered that to him carte blanche and he would have said yes to whoever came first? Like, no, probably not. I think he recognized that the Dodgers have seen a level of postseason success or at least regular season success over the last decade or so. They've shown that they're willing to spend to improve their team. But I think it's important to point out that like most teams could have done something very similar and I think made similar headway except for the giants because san francisco is a hell-ridden like shithole and no baseball player wants to play there right please do not distract from the point at hand here please (laughs) um san francisco will come up because they are actually the most direct comparison that i want to delve into but first 
You said something in there that I'm glad you said it, and I'm glad you phrased it this way. Every team could have offered this contract. Otani made it easier for teams to compete to sign him. Now, I don't think he would have gotten $700 million if it had to be paid all immediately. So I'm going to slightly like amend your statement that he sacrificed a quarter of a billion dollars because he's still getting $700 million. So he's not sacrificing a quarter of a billion dollars. He's sacrificing the opportunity to do better than that by investing his money better than the IRS thinks that it's worth. But if, if it had to be all paid out on a normal timeline with zero deferrals, Probably would have been more like 10 years, 500 million. Would people have been happier with that? Would right. people that have would been... have been a very reasonable contract, I think. That would have been a, a below market contract for Shohei Otani. That would have been harder <laughs> for other teams to sign. And yeah. it would have been a higher CBT number, right? But not that much higher. $4 million higher. So I guess I just don't see it that way. I don't see this as only a big market team could have done this. I think that like the way that it's structured is that is such that this w- is extremely beneficial to the team regardless of what team it is. The Dodgers are not any more uniquely situated to defer that money into the future and make sure that it's going to be there than really any other team. Now, do the Dodgers make more money than other teams? Yes, but they also pay revenue sharing checks to the other teams. And those other teams are supposed to be taking the Dodgers and the Yankees and the Mets and whoever else is revenue sharing checks and putting them onto the field. But do you know what they're doing? They're putting them into their owner's pockets instead so that they can't, so that they quote unquote can't offer contracts like this to big free agents. If the Cincinnati Reds said, in three years, we are going to demolish Great American Ballpark and we need a new ballpark and it's going to cost $2 billion to build this ballpark in Cincinnati. We're going to do it on the cheap. And they said, we want $1.3 billion of public funding. We'll put up the other $700 million. Literally zero people in the entire world would bat an eye at those financial figures. That's how much money they just gave Otani. So is it more okay when the Reds invent a need for a new ballpark and spend $700 million? Do, do they, does that money... <laughs> that's more certain that that money is there for that purpose than for players? It's $700 million is $700 million, whether you're spending it on real estate development or you're spending it on payroll. Now, there's this perception among fan bases who believe what owners feed them that money that you spend on payroll is all lost, that it's just gone. It's going directly to the players. You're not recuperating any of that money because you're giving it straight to another person. But you are recuperating money when you put it into real estate, like the Braves or the, the Cubs. It's just not true, and it's especially not true for a player like Shohei Otani, which if you put $700 million into that investment, you're getting probably more than that back. You're at least getting half to two-thirds of that back in just, like, rote merchandise sales. <laughs> you know, like, not even the softer, harder-to-pin-down numbers of, like, creating new fans, lifelong investment, cr- uh, being a big player in the international market as well, becoming one of the more desirable franchises, not just for the fan base that you already have cultivated and built in LA and in the United States, but across the world. So he is a gigantic financial boon for any team that got him. So 10 years, $700 million. If you are a small market team that can't make that investment with the defer- and even with the added benefit of the deferrals that Otani came up with himself, you just shouldn't own a team. Like you just should not have 
the luxury of owning a baseball team. Because if you are that bad at finance and you can't make that math work, get get out of baseball. And I, I don't know why fans would be mad at the Dodgers for that. Of course, he did sign with the big bad Dodgers, with the evil Empire West, right? But you know why he did that? You know why he was willing to defer that money and he, why he wouldn't have done that for the Royals or for the Marlins or for the Rays? Because the Dodgers actually try. They actually yeah. put money onto mm-hmm. the field. They actually develop players, homegrown talent, and spend in free agency. And they play in the great ballpark. And they have a great fan base. And all these things that we know that are built-in advantages for the Dodgers. But Otani didn't go there because... He didn't go there instead of somewhere else because of the weather. You know, like the other contenders were... I don't, I don't know. The Blue Jays were probably in second based on the reporting or based on like what the rumors were. He went there because he believes that they can put a winning team around him. And... Is part of that belief because the Dodgers have shown that they're willing to compete? Yes. But if you don't like that, then this contract is not the thing that exposes the Dodgers' advantage. The right. Dodgers' advantage is literally everything else. So why it came to a head for this, I find it kind of hard to reckon with and understand. Yeah, I think it's a lot of misdirected anger that should be directed towards your own team's owner. Why didn't the Mariners do this? I, we'll we'll get to why they're saying they didn't do this, but like they could have even more than why didn't the Mariners do this? Because like I don't think Otani wanted to play there. Frankly, I don't think Otani wanted to play anywhere besides the Dodgers. Yeah, but that's like one his personal prerogative. If he had just signed with the Pirates, <laughs> which would be like it's so unfair that he deferred all this money and now the small market Pirates get to get the biggest star in baseball. Because that's your logic, you know? Like, that's if you want to stand by that logic, then stand by that logic. But nobody actually feels that way. They want teams to compete. They want players to put winning first. But then when a player does it for a team that wants to compete, they're mad. And, like, it's less that, well, why didn't the Mariners get him? Or why didn't the Orioles get him? Get him? It's more, why did they take themselves out of the running before it ever even started? Right. Why is that there is a the market more, that, is, that is creating these conditions that... M- mean that the Dodgers were going to win, no matter what. According to Fangraph's roster resource, which is an unbelievable resource, no pun intended, for fans who care about this stuff, the Baltimore Orioles estimated 2024 payroll. Would you like to take a guess at what their current estimated 2024 payroll is? Obviously, before free agency is resolved, but it doesn't really seem like they're going to make a big splash. 120? 85. So yeah, they'd be around 120 if they literally got Otani. <laughs> they'd be around 130. Like I just say, it's pretty just reasonable like, payroll number. Just just save it, you know. Just save yeah. it. That's a great team with a great fan base in a great ballpark. And to me, there is no reason why they can't go up to 130 to get the best player in baseball with the best, most exciting young roster in baseball. And the real answer is that John Angelos wants to save money. But the answer that you're going to hear from everybody's favorite, beloved Mike Elias is, well, we have to have the payroll flexibility to sign all of our young players when they come up in five years. Mm -hmm. Okay, so are you going to do that? Five years from now, are you going to have all of those players because you didn't go in for big free agents like Shohei Otani? No. The answer is no. That's a lie that people are not going to remember five years in the future. Yeah, it's a lot of excuses, honestly. That, that don't really make sense once you start try, holding them up to the light. We saw that the Angels supposedly were in the conversation to the very end. 
and that Artie Moreno simply wasn't willing to go that extra mile and give him that extra whatever, 50 million, 100 million, whatever it comes down to, it kind of doesn't even matter. You're making a you're making a statement on how you run the how you run the business that you own. And you're saying this investment I don't think is worth it for the long term. Even when we've seen that that's that, that's not how that's borne out in real time. That Otani is quite literally a a once in a generation player in terms of getting fans into the ballpark, in terms of growing your market. Every owner should have been chomping at the bit to try and get a player like him in the ballpark. So I don't know. I I my eyes started to glaze over at a lot of the like discussions on you know how this is feasible for the Dodgers and how it might be for other teams and and what are the you know reasonable critiques of this deal because like it kind of doesn't matter to me if you're mad about it if you're mad about it like go out go out bid the Dodgers bid 700 million and one touch grass if you're mad about it <laughs> low key <laughs> Alex Baisley touch grass um luckily dear listener my eyes did not glaze over my third eye is open and i so many people <laughs> shared what i think on its face is a reasonable take which is that this is the type of thing that feels like accounting loophole nonsense but it's not no this is actually how the players association wants it to function because if you think about it does this help the dodgers in this one instance yes but do money do do deferrals that the player elects to take help players get more money in the long run on the aggregate because it lowers the amount of penalty that teams have to pay in CBT? Yes, definitely. That's why the Players Association did not agree to eliminating this exact thing when the owners proposed it. Because it allows Otani to sign for 10 years $700 million instead of 10 years four hundred and sixty. Those numbers are just different, and he's guaranteeing himself the $700 million no matter what happens to the market. And that's what he wanted. That's not what every player would want, but the flexibility to do what is best for the player is what the union is trying to maintain. That's why they won't agree to a salary cap so that they can limit what players make and what teams can spend. It's why they've been so anti-CBT in the first place. What this is functionally doing is this meaning that the Dodgers don't have to pay as much to the CBT. Players don't want the CBT at all. They don't yeah. want they don't want the luxury tax at all. We just spent a whole fucking lockout talking about this. I, I don't know how people are so misguided to say that this is like anti-union the way that this is functioning. People who I think that like largely share our sympathies towards the players' unions fight think that this is unfair. And I don't really get that. And then it always comes back to this idea of parity. Parity. What is parity? So say you got rid of this. Would a, would a bunch of teams have gotten, gotten Otani because the Dodgers couldn't do this? Would a bunch of teams have been in the running? No, he still would be with the fucking Dodgers because he wanted yeah. to go there. He wanted to go there. Well, the other thing about like, there's been this conversation about what is the precedent that, you know, this sort of thing sets, that these big market teams can do these massive contracts. And it's like, you have to remember like how unique of a situation this is. But the Mets aren't going to Joey Wendell and saying, hey, We'll defer a majority of the what two million dollars or whatever he signed for. Yeah, twenty twenty years down the road, so that so that we can uh, save a little money in the short term, you know, and and build our team. Like 
this sort of thing is is only going to come into play when you have a player of Otani's caliber for whom it actually makes sense to do this. Now, is there a possibility that teams feel emboldened to go to other big mar- uh go to other, you know, big stars and say, "Hey, well, if Shohei Otani did this, why won't you do this? Why aren't you willing to do it?" Like maybe but again, it, it feels like another issue that's kind of dead in the water. It's infantilizing to think that a- as a fan or as an analyst of this situation, to think that other big free agents don't understand what happened here and that their agents will not be able to tell teams to go kick rocks Yeah, if they try to tell them, defer 98% of your contract. The idea that this sets any kind of precedent is totally nonsensical. <laughs> And maybe I'll be maybe I'll be wrong. Maybe the maybe Juan Soto will be asked to defer all of his money. Guess what? Juan Soto was already asked to defer 60% of his contract by the Washington Nationals two years ago when they were negotiating this. This is already happening. Teams yeah, that don't want to spend new. the money don't want to spend the money. That's why Bryce Harper is a Philly. Newsflash. That's why Max Scherzer actually did defer his money so that he went to the Nationals. And guess what? They won the World Series. The Nationals actually, in good faith, spent around him to build a good team. Because he deferred that money. Win, win, win. Why is everybody so mad? Help the Nationals. It, and the idea that like the Dodgers have this built-in advantage because they play in LA and everybody wants to live there. It's like, what's going on in Philadelphia then? Mm-hmm. Is Philadelphia this great desirable city that everybody just talks all the time about how rich, rich celebrities want to live there? Absolutely fucking not. <laughs> no, no. And I can say that. I'm from there. But they actually spend and they want to win. And they're doing well. And they can make a case. So... And the existence of the Giants in this whole situation, that they offered the exact same contract and Otani didn't go there, kind of like unravels that entire argument that other teams couldn't have done this. Like the Giants, I mean, they're not actually a small market, but the perception of them is not that they're like this big bad market with all these big built-in advantages that the Dodgers have. So where did the money come from? Is it unfair that they got to offer that contract? (laughs) I'm going to come out with a take that's like, Completely unfair that the Giants could offer this contract and the Royals couldn't. It means that the Giants could come in fifth for Otani and the Royals came in 28th. And that Mm -hmm. is unfair. Yeah. I'm putting my foot down. That just seems wrong. The Royals should have been in the top five. They should have finished fifth for Otani. It's like these people sound so stupid. It's just so dumb. Once again, I think it comes back to jealousy. You're right. Like, uh, like at the end of the day, I think that th- this offseason has been just a particular brand of, I think, like broken baseball brains on baseball Twitter. And I say that with all the love in the world. Uh, I it just it just feels like something's in the air right now, like that you you have. Uh, there's always a, a dearth of conversation pieces in any given offseason. And so fans go a little bit crazy. Um Astros fans like ran a a new beat reporter like off of Twitter because she'd called Jose Altuve a cheater, like whatever you know. Like they're like Astros fans are like doing their own thing, like going like batshit crazy over there, you know. And I just feel like we need something else to talk about. So should we move on, or are are you interested in discussing the 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 one piece of this that we did not discuss, which is maybe not as contentious, is just kind of like a weird, intriguing thing was the, the piece of the contract where if Walter or Friedman leave, Otani can opt out. You alluded mm-hmm. to it. 
but we didn't really discuss what that means and what that actually <laughs> to renege on what I said earlier about how this contract sets no precedent. That is kind of like a precedent that that is kind of like breaking through the ceiling of something in a contract. I don't know that I've ever seen that. That's very strange, very weird. The more I think about it, the more I think it's sick. Yeah, it's dope. Like, he's not saying that if they leave, he'll leave. He's saying that if they leave, you better consult him on who you bring in next. Mm -hmm. Yep. This is codifying the kind of soft power. Word codifying is a word that you're going to hear me use over a lot over the next couple of months because codifying into contract language is a very popular thing when um, collectively bargaining a CBA, which is what I am doing right now. That is codifying the kind of soft power that someone like LeBron James has or someone like Kevin Durant has or whoever, someone like Leo Messi has. That's codifying that into contract language, which is pretty sick. Usually don't see that. That's usually like a handshake agreement. Otani's like, nope, put it in writing. You want to sell the team? I reserve the right to not be on the team. Yeah. I think my, uh, my favorite part of all this was the kind of like subtle implication that he very well could parlay this into a Dodgers ownership stake at the end. You know, he's basically giving the Dodgers, you know, a whatever dollar amount loan, interest-free, right? $680 million loan. Right, exactly. A large sum, like a, you know, what, a a quarter of the Dodgers, a fifth of the Dodgers worth? Whatever it is at this point. Less than a fifth. They're probably worth like $7 I think it'd be dope if 10 years down the line, Otani's like, okay, I know that you guys are scheduled to pay me all of this money. However, <laughs> let's make a deal. I'll forgive it for a 25% ownership stake. Okay. Final question on Otani. When the contract expires and he's set to start getting those $68 million checks per year, will he still have residency in the state of California or will he move to Texas <laughs> so that he doesn't have to pay 50% income tax on that money? You are on the record now. You say what? I say, I don't know jack shit about <laughs> taxes or accounting or whatever. Is that how that works? Is it really that easy? You can just say, hey, pay me my paycheck later and then I'll move. Because that, you want to talk loopholes. That seems like a loophole. I, me, know nothing about the IRS, but. But like, is it really a loophole though? Because it's like money I mean, that no, you've earned in the yeah. state for that year. So if he can get by on two milli a year from the Dodgers, he can scrape by on that small amount, plus his fifty million dollars in annual marketing mm-hmm. income, right. which he will have to pay taxes on while he's in California. I think it seems fair that if he's just getting a check for sixty-eight million dollars from previously rendered services from the Dodgers, and he lives in Texas, why should, why should he have to pay that to old Uncle Sam? <laughs> I know. Fuck those California taxes, right? What's Newsom going to do? That's why you left California. That's exactly why. And I moved to New York City, a place where you pay more in taxes. Uh (laughs) You know what the IRS said to me last year when I filed my taxes my first year back in New York? What did they say? They said, we would like you to give us $2,400. And then I did. Mm -hmm. Dear listener, I did. Because I'd like to keep making this podcast not from the walls of prison. Should have moved to Texas, bro. I don't know what to tell you. Just thinking about how much further my money would go, the money that I get paid by my job remotely, where it doesn't matter where I work, even in Philadelphia, let alone Texas or Florida. You know, I get it, Rogan. I get it. We're moving Tipping Pitches Studios to Austin. Time to keep Austin weird, Alex. Cursed words. (laughs) I get it, Rogan. 
I'm just trying to say he had something figured out, you know? Every time I see a video from his podcast circulating, I'm like, is this AI? Because there are so many fake ones that are out there. I'm like to the point where I don't even know if the guest is real, if the guest even did the pod. Like, I, if I saw, someone needs to make an AI video of you on Rogan. Mm-hmm. Just so that I can really, in my head, be like, I know that's not real. <laughs> I know it's not. It's definitely like, every time a video pops up, I'm like, hasn't he like done this bit already? I'm like, are you still, you're still just like doing the same stuff? You haven't grown? What's so fascinating about the Rogan boys is that they all seem to just love him so much. And like, he is easily, from an objective point of view, the least interesting part of the show. Mm -hmm. All the guests there, every time I've seen a Rogan clip where I've been like, okay, that's kind of funny. Or like, that's kind of interesting. It's always the guest. And anytime he starts talking, I'm like, shut up. Let the guest talk. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, Jordan Peterson. Right. Um, Robert Kennedy. Yeah. Some interesting points he made. Mm-hmm. Um, ben. I know you like Ben Shapiro. Shapiro. Yeah. One, real quick story for you guys. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't tell the story. I'll save this for the Patreon. <laughs> save that for the Patreon. Um, okay. Should we talk about the Mariners and Root? Sports. Let's talk about the Mariners and Root Sports because I was hyped to talk about this, and you yeah. were like, "I literally don't know what you're referring to." I I did read one article, one article explaining the situation in the Seattle Times. Seattle Times. Ryan Divish and his colleagues over there have been doing yeoman's work covering this over the last few years. One time, Ryan Divish got mad at us on Twitter. Do you remember that? Really? Yeah. No, I don't. I was saying, like, the Mariners should be spending more, and he was like, you're being unfair. Oh, I do vaguely remember this, yeah. And I was like, okay. This is a whole, kind of our whole thing, but I get it, you know. You want nuance? I don't. <laughs> right. You're a, you're a columnist who, like, <laughs> has a reputation to uphold. Like, okay. And I just want to shout at John Stanton. Right. We verbal shit posters. You know who's been increasingly real in our mentions? Who? Eno Saris. That's right. He's a one of us. One of us. Mm-hmm. It's nice to see. That thread that I did about Otani's contract attracted responses from um, Mike Petriello, Eno Saris, Kyle Body. Yep. What is going on? People, All the legends. Twitter is back, bro. <laughs> Twitter's back. Okay. Tell me about Root Sports. Let's talk Root. There's a really interesting story going on in Seattle right now. And Mariners fans are are pretty livid. Uh, they've been doing some unloading over the last few weeks. Obviously, you know, the, the recent sort of short-term story is, is Jerry DePoto talking about the 54% benchmark of trying to win over 10 years, et cetera, which pissed a lot of fans off. Then they've kind of, he, they, he's alluded to the fact that, you know, they're not really going to add very much to payroll this year. Um, there's these quote-unquote financial uncertainties They've they've maybe already made some right, maybe next year. It's always next year, you know. Wait till next season. They've gotten rid of guys like Jared Kelnick, Eugenio Suarez, Marco Gonzalez, in an effort to shed some of that payroll. But the circumstances around all of this seem a little convoluted, especially given that the Mariners historically have been, I would say, if not one of the better run franchises, like one of the better run, like businesses from a straight 
business standpoint. They Forbes has reported them as the most profitable baseball team. They have a publicly funded ballpark. Just to be clear, so you support the publicly funded ballpark? I do. You're I saying think that good. that's how I think it's teams good. should run it their business. It is good business. Yes. Good. Just wanted you on the record about that. Yep. And so they've they've made these sort of business moves that you you think are supposedly sort of setting them up for the future, for future wins, for future investments, and creating the foundation of like an actual big market team, like they could be. And at the center of this whole story of financial uncertainty is their RSN, right? We've talked ad nauseum about RSNs on this podcast and and Bally Sports and how the model has <laughs> largely been caving in on itself in the last few years although it it's a it's a trend that has been taking place over the last decade or so right with the rise of streaming and the decline of cable which is a really interesting timeline because about a decade ago the mariners at maybe the peak of rsn revenues said we are going to buy root sports northwest the RSN that is produced by DirecTV. We're going to own like 71% of it and basically just rake in all those profits, right? They recognized, they, they looked at teams like the Angels and, and the Rangers who were negotiating billion-dollar deals, and they said, we want a piece of that pie too. And this is going to help us fortify our team for the future. And it hasn't really turned out that way. Root Sports has grown. In the last decade or so, they've brought on the Seattle Kraken. They brought on the Portland Trailblazers to their network. So they are the home of Seattle sports at this point. But all of this is, is done in partnership with actual like cable providers, right? The Mariners are not getting up there and filming these themselves and broadcasting themselves, right? They have a distribution partner effectively who is producing all of these games and and negotiating with cable networks to yeah. distribute them to that's, various. That's an important and sort of convoluted part of this, which is that, so the Mariners own Root Sports, which is like the, the channel, basically, the, the sports network that people can see on their televisions. However, the games themselves have been produced by Warner Brothers Discovery, who dropped out of live sports this past year because they're trying to cost cut because they're trying to become like a streaming giant, basically. And so live sports is now part of their, the David Zaslav plan, the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery. But then also there's distributors like Verizon and Comcast and, um, you know, your, your normal right, like TV, AT&T, exactly. YouTube TV, these places that you can actually watch these things who have to negotiate the rights from root sports to be able to put, to be able to provide that channel to their customers. So the Mariners are not. The Mariners and Root Sports, and the way that RSNs work is that they are not the person who gets to decide whether these channels are on people's TVs and how much they pay for them. They just charge the rights to give this channel to Verizon, to Comcast, whatever. So these are all these sort of like convoluted web of deals going in every direction. And what these cable providers are slowly realizing is that RSNs are charging us so much money for these, for the rights to broadcast these games. And to be honest, a sliver of the viewership are actually the ones watching it, right? If you sign up for a cable package and Root Sports is included, you, you may not 
be a Mariners fan or a Kraken fan or a Blazers fan, but it's part of your channel whether you want it or not, right? And that's it's kind part of how of your, it's been, right? Yeah, it's part of your bill. Like if you looked right. at an itemized bill of what you're paying for, you're paying a live sports fee, more or less. Right, right. And and for the cable providers specifically, those fees are high. And that's part of the reason why the RSN bubble grew to the size that it did. Now, back in 2021, the Blazers were being broadcast on, on Comcast's RSN, which was like NBC Sports Northwest. The Mariners acquired the rights to the Blazers, NBC Sports Northwest folded, right? So Comcast RSN just had, no, had nothing left to broadcast, right? So there's kind of this underlying thread of competition between these RSNs and these um, distributors of how much money are we making? How much money are you making? What are the rights that you have versus what we have? And it's kind of come to a head this year with Comcast announcing back in October that they are jacking up. They are moving Root Sports to their highest subscription tier, right? So people are going to be charged eighteen fifty more a month to be able to watch these games. And everyone else will have their bill lowered slightly. And, and, and this is a kind of microcosm of what's happening all across the RSN landscape, but it feels like a particularly salient one because of how the Mariners are employing this to excuse their lack of movement in the free agent market in building up their roster. Um, the latest development, as you mentioned, is that Warner Brothers, who was the one, Warner Brothers Discovery, who have been producing the Root Sports broadcasts, are getting out of the business entirely. So by January 1st, the Mariners own Root Sports top to bottom, 100%, all of it. And they have to figure out how they are broadcasting their games next year, whether that's going into business with another cable provider who will produce for them or turn to Major League Baseball and say, hey, you're building up your own streaming arm. We'll get in on that with you. Meanwhile, Comcast subscriptions have been plummeting over basically since the Mariners bought Root Sports, right? Because people are cutting the cord. People aren't watching their sports via cable writ large anymore, right? There are all these other ways that you can access that, whether it's MLB TV, whether it's YouTube TV, whether it's Hulu, whether it's FUBU, whether it's BooBoo or <laughs> PooPoo, like I, whatever it is. <laughs> but what you're seeing now is the Mariners say, we have to tighten the belt. Our RSN is not making, I want to point out, they're not going bankrupt. It's not a Valley sports thing where they are going bankrupt or they're losing millions of dollars. They are making less money than they thought they would, which like sometimes happens in business investments, right? But they're turning around and saying, we were counting on that revenue. It's not coming through in the way we thought it was. We're going to have to be frugal until all of this gets sorted out. And I, I'm curious to hear your sort of reaction to to all of this, convoluted as it is, because to me, it feels like another excuse. What we had for the last 20 years was a live sports rights arms, arms race. And it was, <laughs> depending on your perspective of the Cold War, Kind of, kind of mutually beneficial to people with money on both sides, people in power on both sides. So on the side, the RSN side, so your SNYs, your Yes Networks, your Root Sports, your whatever these RSNs have have existed as. What's the one in the the, the Cubs? 
What what is, what is theirs called? Marquee. Oh, I love that one. Marquee. Mm-hmm. On the RSN side of the picture, they could just keep charging higher rights fees to broadcast baseball games or basketball games or hockey games or soccer games or not football. Importantly, not football. Football just broadcasts straight on basic cable. They are not part of this equation because they are just so ubiquitous and so successful that they don't need to be. They, they subsist solely off of advertising, more or less, for their games. And on the, on the other side of the puzzle, we had cable providers. We had Verizon, Comcast, I don't know the entire, entire cable provider landscape, but DirecTV, places like this that were saying that were, were the conduit to the customer. And they were saying, this is how much you have to pay for us in order to have the live sports channel on your TV. Ironically, sometimes both of those sides were owned by the same parent company. Like both of those sides could be owned by Comcast, which is a more complicated factor in this, but not relevant to what we're talking about with the Mariners. And in the middle of that, in the middle of that business transaction were teams saying, essentially dictating how much money the RSN would have to charge in order to make a profit from the cable provider. Because teams were like, we are selling you these rights, then you are basically reselling these rights to the cable providers. And your business model is such that you think that you can monetize our rights better than we could or with less of a headache than we could. Because that's what you do. You do live television. You do live television broadcasts. You do advertising. You do this all. This is your thing. And as that has sorted, as that has started to consolidate over the years, these RSNs, teams have taken bigger roles in them. And they've realized that there's a lot of profit to be taken in letting out the middleman because then they determine how much to charge for the rights and they can keep raising that because they're like, we are the, we are the whole kit and caboodle. We are the team. We are the provider. We are, the, we are making the broadcast. We don't need to pay someone the convenience fee of being able to do this for us. We already understand it. And now the problem has become that enough people on the customer side got fed up with increased fees to see these things and they cut the cord because it's convenient for the rest of their life as well because it's all been slipstreamed into this world where Hollywood has tried to move away from this distribution model for television and movies and they've tried to make streaming as part of the internet era the default for new customers. You are pushed more towards a streaming model than you are towards a cable bundle. And the problem is that the RSN business model the existence of RSNs is no longer a functional business model, period. Like, just to be an RSN, there is not there, it's too, mu- too expensive from the rights fees side. The, ca- the cable providers know that they don't have to give you as much money anymore because people are cutting the cord and they're trying to save money on that side too. And they have such an economic advantage because they are conglomerates. They are trusts, essentially. Verizon and Comcast are so big <laughs> that this is not their whole business. They're selling internet to people. <laughs> They're already making money. So it doesn't matter that they drive away these live sports things anymore. Because they probably have their hand in other live streaming sports businesses too. They have their hand in letting Hulu run their products. They have their hand in letting YouTube TV run their product. And their, their revenue streams are differentiated enough that it doesn't matter. And so now as teams started to take over the RSN model because it made them more money in the short to medium term, Now they're starting to realize that that model is broken. But ultimately where I come out and what's so frustrating is that this is just a piece of the pie. 
Yeah. It's not like how the RSNs were, where this was their whole business model. They had to make money on live television, and they had to make a lot of money because they wanted the executives to get rich, and they also still wanted to not go bankrupt. It's important to understand that like Bally Sports going bankrupt, that was one part of the company that they spun off into a bankruptcy, and probably everyone involved with it got incredibly rich. It wasn't actually that they were like losing money on live sports. They were choosing to lose money long enough to the point where they could close up shop and walk away clean and not have to deal with whatever headwinds were turning against them. And ultimately where I net out with the Mariners, with these other teams that are having these issues is I don't really care. Not my problem. Mm -hmm. You guys want to run all of the aspects of baseball. You guys want to control it all. You want to set price points. You want to gouge me left and right to experience your product. And you can't figure out how to get it to make you enough money to get good players. If we boil away all the other nonsense that we've just spent the last 30 minutes explaining, seems like a you problem. Yep. It's a skill issue. <laughs> Get better at running your books. But the thing is, like, they're fine. <laughs> they're right. just using it as an excuse. And that is sort of like the silver bullet of all of this, is that they're not actually hurting for money. But an MLB owner would never conceive of the idea of dipping into profits in order to sustain long-term likability of the franchise, long-term success, long-term roster health. There might be like two or three organizations that'd be willing to do that on a short-term basis. And guess what? They're the Mets, the Yankees, and the Dodgers, and they're getting all the good players because of it. We just yeah. spent 40 minutes talking about how that, that got the Dodgers Otani. So it's a lot of complicated elements that are important to understand if you care about these things. But at the end of the day, the answer is there's a lot of money in broadcasting live baseball, whether it's streaming it through MLB TV or whether it's putting it on cable or whether it's this weird world where we're doing half and half. Ultimately, where the business people decide is the balance point of the seesaw. Don't really care. Just the thing that is most frustrating is how hard it is to figure out how I'm supposed to get these games. <laughs> right. And it's going to be like at the end of the Cold War when there's like a massive liquidation of assets. And I don't know who's going to get what. But at the end of the day, I do feel as though the viewers are going to get screwed somehow. Hopefully, it's just that we can use MLB TV to stream every game. Because as we talked about last weekend with Jake and Jordan, it's a pretty good product when they allow it to work how it's designed to be worked. And whatever finance needs to work Whatever finance needs to be ironed out to make that possible, whatever. We'll see where we net out from that point. But these like complicated big business deals, I know it affects fans, but I don't know how much fans should be caring about trying to resolve them or like fret fretting about resolving them. I completely agree. I think fans are forced to think about this sort of stuff because either their cable bill is hiked up or their team's front office is saying, look, this is the deal. This is why we have to scale back. And then fans are forced to, you know, swallow those results. You know what you'd ever hear? The business is good. <laughs> yeah, we're Teams signing, never come out and say, we're signing our more RSN, players. Our RSN is a cash cow over the last few years. And so as a result, we're scaling up. We're doing more. We're going bigger and better in the 21st century. You just hear, ah, COVID put a damper on our profits, you know, not having fans in the stadium that year means, you know, we're going to have to tighten the belt a little bit. Oh, you know, we're going to have to do a strategic retreat. 
Um, you know, we we're we're building for the future, right? We can't invest all this money right now. It's a long-term project. Ah, the RSN model, you know, we just weren't able to foresee that it wasn't going to work out, even though we bought in right, right at the very top, right as people started saying, hey, this might be a bubble. You know what it sounds like to me is that you're not like great at business. That's what I mean. It's a skill issue. Your business. And like you might be, right? Because you're still raking in profits. I know you are. Whatever you put the value at Root Sports at, right? At maybe a couple hundred million dollars, the Mariners' valuation is still skyrocketing, is still skyrocketing. And has continued to skyrocket since Stanton took over ownership of the franchise, right? They are still worth multiple billion dollars. So, like, what's the issue here then? I know you have other streams of revenue. I am positive you have other streams of revenue. My whole thing is like, well, first of all, I I love what you said about you never hear that things are going well. Because even if you did, that owner would be like sniped out of the press conference so fast. If Steve Cohen came out and was like, TV's doing great. I got a lot of money. We're set. Selling a lot of tickets. Season ticket packages. Crushing it. <laughs> They'd be like, dude, what are yeah. you doing? You're, mm-hmm. you're, <laughs> you're giving the game away, man. Exactly. You're giving the game away. We didn't let you in to hear this. You just, your benefit is that you are making money. You don't have to tell everyone. But his actions and the actions of a few other franchises have already given the game away to people who are paying attention. The problem is most people are not paying attention. Most people don't... I mean, I think that there's like a, a general better understanding that owners are lying to you and that they could be spending more and they should be spending more. But I think there's like a resignation about it because every owner is doing it for the most part or 26 owners are doing it. And I also think that there's sort of levels to it. People understand that their owner could be spending more. But honestly, a lot of people don't believe that their owner could be spending that much more. There's a lot of people out there who believe that what's going on with the Mariners right now is causing them a liquidity problem. But And that might be true. The Mariners might have a liquidity problem. But the liquidity problem is not because they didn't meet expectations with Root Sports. The liquidity problem was exposed because of that. That was the thing that opened it up and made it glaring. But I would venture to guess if we looked at the Mariners' books, we could find ways to help them with their liquidity problem. Like, don't take as much year-over-year profit, John Stanton. Don't waste as much money investing. (laughs) Don't waste as much money trying to buy up real estate. Like, remember when I went to the Mariners game this year and I paid $65 in parking? That didn't solve your liquidity problem? Yeah, 81 times a year you charge people to pay it, to, to park there 81 times a year and I know Mariners fans that there's a lot of good public transit options to get there I understand that but that there are there were still people in the garage you know yeah all the Ken Griffey Jr. jerseys that you still sell all the Ichiro jerseys that you still sell across the world that's not helping with your liquidity problem again it's a skill issue yeah or it's an intentionally tying one hand behind my back issue and either way it's not because baseball is not making you enough money. It's because you are taking too much of the money and yeah. it should be going elsewhere. Yeah, you were too bad at your job to be recouping these profits or you think 
fans are stupid and won't notice. Yeah. You're too bad at what's, your job. Worse? You're too bad at your job to make it a rising tide which will lift all boats. It's it's you're just lifting your own boat. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which, you know, that's how they became billionaires. You siphon profit off of industry for yeah, yourself. One bootstrap at a time. <laughs> Every time an RSN deal blows up, an angel gets its wings. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, an angel at JP Morgan just <laughs> gets his wings. Mm-hmm. Flies into there and is like, oh boy, we could write a lot off your taxes right here, Mr. Stanton. Yep. I'm getting I'm getting the specialty milk in my <laughs> latte today. Oh man. That was fun. I fucking love talking about business, you know? I do too. This is see, this is when we're at our best. Off season, you think there's nothing to talk about? No, no fucking chance. We're cooking. We are mm-hmm. cooking right now. Yeah. I'll I'll go for another hour talking about. John Fisher selling like $33 million of Gap stock this week. What do you think he needs that for? Maybe a new forest (laughs) has grown since the last one he chopped down. And he was like, we can't have this. Time to get more liquid. Exactly. It's the timing of it was weird. Or maybe not weird. More not so coincidental that the that the city of Oakland just came to them and saying, "Hey, remember when you said you were buying the the half half of our lease to the Coliseum and that you can pay it in installments unless you leave, in which case you have to pay it all immediately." Well, you're leaving, so you have to pay it all immediately. It's 45 million dollars that A's are on the hook for. And I think it's so relatable that he was like, "I I need to move that money around a little bit. I can't pay you just yet. These are my favorite episodes that we do, right? We talked about like evading taxes by moving to a different state. Legal. We, which is legal. We talked about bad investments. We talked about selling stocks. Like baseball legal. is You're talking about accounting. a lot of all of this stuff is legal. It's all legal activity. But here's the board. Those activities are right above it. They're above <laughs> board. Yeah. You would do the same. <laughs> Not all of us are cut out to be billionaires, you know, as you once famously mm-hmm. said. Yeah. A hard truism here on this podcast. Maybe billionaires got the right idea. Maybe billionaires got the right idea. Mm-hmm. Tattoo it on my forehead. Preach. Call me Rob Manfred. Preach, brother. Preach. What do you think Manfred thinks about Root Sports? See, this is the kind of thing where, like, if we got Rob on... He would have to doff his cap to us because we're in there, dude. We are in the weeds. We get it. It's not like if you if he went and talked to some schmucko about how the Mariners should be spending more money, be like, you guys don't get it. No, 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 Rob. We do get it, and we still think the Mariners should be spending more money. So, what do you say? Yeah, we we'd be like, Rob. What do you think of the the fact that Dish Network uh, dropping Root Sports back in twenty twenty one? Um, meant for the long-term viability of the RSN sports model with regards to distribution and and viewership and and whether or not it boded poorly for the future of of this business venture. Rob, when we eventually transition to a full streaming model, what do you think are the KPIs to make your teams the money that you want? You know, what are the relevant data points? What exactly is the price point that, in your head, you think is both Fair to the consumer, 
but also reasonable for the business side. Mm-hmm. Let's not lose sight of the point here. I'm trying to make money. Right. Two sides to every story. Rob, open invite. It's That is all I'm saying. Never been more open. It's never been. And frankly, if he thinks that we're misinformed, I love him to inform us. Mm-hmm. Teach me, Correct Rob. the record. Teach me, Rob. Teach me. <laughs> right. We want to do the work. What are we forgetting? What are we leaving out? I started this pod in a bad place because of Yamamoto. Mm-hmm. I've been doing a lot of uh, emotional hedging recently. Trying to do things to get me in an okay place so that if the Mets don't have Yamamoto, I'm like, it's all still worth it. I just watched Lady Bird this morning. Great film. Great film. Great film. Put me in a good headspace before she was I was in her bag for that one. She is always in her bag. I know. I'm not sure what's going on with this Chronicles of Narnia thing, though. <laughs> Are you aware of this? No. Greta's like signed on her next like two movies. She's contracted to direct Chronicles of Narnia. Oh, I did vaguely hear this. Yeah. She's in her like, she's really in her Spielberg, like big IP era. Indiana mm-hmm. Jones, Jurassic Park. Although he like made that IP, but you know right. what I mean? It, it was adapted from a novel, but big blockbuster hits. That's what she's trying to do so that she can free up some political clout to be in her minority report AI artificial intelligence era, which That's I right. want I, I am, to fast I am forward so to that. Stoked for that. We're going to be eating good, bro. The Gerwig Hive. <laughs> We're going to be fed. We're going to be fat and happy. I never know where this podcast will go. You know, that's the joy of it. That's just a little taste of what the Patreon is like. Speaking of the Patreon, patreon.com slash tipping pitches. If you want more bonus episodes, whole whole episodes, they're just whole episodes. They're like hour long, twice a month. Every, they're every couple weeks on Thursdays. They take different formats. We explored a new format. And just to be transparent, we, we did a movie watch along um, that we recorded last week, which was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Alex did some ASMR eating on the mic. You know, that's the selling point. That's the number one selling point. That was the number one selling point. Yeah, yeah. sign up to hear that. Um, actually, no. The number one selling point is that it's a movie that many of you will be familiar with because it is emotionally and auditorially tied to this podcast. That's dropping on the Patreon feed in a few days. I said the word transparency because that will also be next week's episode on this here public feed as well. Um, we're going to take the week off. We're going to take the next two weeks off, actually. Um, but you will get an episode on the morning of Christmas. And that will be the movie watch along that I referred to. And then on New Year's Day, we will be off fully. We'll be back on January 8th. TBD on what that episode is. Could be State of, Labor, could be state of Labor in Baseball. Could be a normal episode. Just depends on Bauman's schedule. Um, so that is the programming over the next couple weeks. Next week will be a, a watch along movie watch along and we'll explain more in that episode about what that means and how you can watch along with us and then for new year's we will be off anything i'm forgetting there is other cool stuff on the patreon as well there's a a newsletter that comes out regularly which i think bobby's on tap for next there's there's a holiday card which i'm i'm just i'm 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 owning up to the fact that it's on me to get that out there Right, I've been I've been dragging my feet, but the holidays are a great time uh, for me to do that. And there's some there's some drafts in the works right now that that Bobby you may even see later today. We'll see. Oh, uh, great! There's a Slack channel. There's 
There's all sorts of, just go check it out. The link's in the description. You know, I won't tell you everything. There's fun stuff there if you like what we do here and somehow want more of it. The beauty of the Patreon episodes are that even if you're a few weeks late, it doesn't matter. No. It doesn't matter. I'm not going to be doing timely dives like this one into Root Sports on the Patreon. <laughs> We're going to be chilling. We're going to be chilling. The movie watch along, so it was just you and me this time around. But, and I mentioned this on the pod itself, but we have some guests on tap for that. Some guests that I think many of you listening will be very excited to hear in, in a format such as this. Uh, and that more on that in January. That's it. You know, we did our holiday sales pitch. I think we're good to go. Thank you for um, a wonderful year, everybody listening. Oh, wow. Yeah, I just, I just connected the fact. You said a few minutes ago that the next two episodes are banked. And I didn't really realize that this is the last episode of the year we're recording. Anything you want to get off your chest? Would you like, is now the time where you reveal that you've been a sleeper agent for Rob Manfred's commissioner's office all year? That he blackmailed you at the end of last year over something that we don't need to get into. And that you spent all of 2023 amassing information about the Tipping Pitches community to provide in a dossier to Rob himself. Right. I wasn't going to reveal it here. I was going to wait till the new year, but what I was going to mention is that I, sh- I should note that um, I am actually an investor in Root Sports. <laughs> this is just my disclosure at the end of the podcast. That's where all of the Patreon money is gone. I own the other 29%. <laughs> you bought it straight from Zaz. Exactly. You just shook hands. You got in that room together. <laughs> You're like, Zazlov, make it happen. So if you have complaints, that's you what, can. That's why my DMs are open. That's why Zaslav wasn't solving the writer's strike. <laughs> he was too busy making a 29% deal with you <laughs> for the rest of Root Sports. You're the reason that we don't have our television. Mm-hmm. Our I'm the reason for the Dune delay. Sorry. Have you seen Dune 1? I have. What's your takes? It's a good flick. Should we do a watch along of Dune? Jesus. Yeah, but the original. Yeah. That's a hard movie to talk through. Yeah. It's batshit. It's a hard movie, period. It's a hard movie to watch. <laughs> so it'd be hard to watch along. Um, Dune, what a picture. That was my first movie back in a theater for after the COVID-19 pandemic. That's a good return. It was so great. Warner Brothers lot. Writer's Guild screening. Ooh. <laughs> we were cooking. We were coming. I might move back to LA just for that. Unlike Otani, I am not afraid of paying California taxes. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, everybody, for listening all along, all year in 2023. We hope to provide an even better year in 2024. Happy holidays. Enjoy. And we will be back. Well, you'll hear another episode from us next week, but we will be back uh, later in January. And I mean, if you want, we can just stay. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. Tipping pitches. So we'll see you next week. See ya. Oh, I haven't even had coffee yet. Wow. No wonder. Fuck. Well, you want to pause to go make no. some? No, it's fine. Are you sure? I'm going to pause and go make some. Is that okay? <laughs> That's fine. Give me two minutes. That's hilarious. <laughs>